0: And now, from the dark corners of the internet, where the exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the beer flows steady, it's Paul.com Security Weekly!
1: Sponsored by Tenable Network Security, the creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Tenable Security Center extends the power of Nessus to reporting, passive vulnerability scanning, log correlation, and much more. Tenable Unified Security Monitoring. Core Security Technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Rock out with your exploit out. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool. TrustWave Spider Labs, providing advanced information security services to planet Earth. Visit them online at trustwave.com forward slash And NWN Corporation Star Team, providing vulnerability scanning, penetration testing, risk assessments, and regulatory compliance review services designed to fit any organization and budget. Helping your organization's security go from good to great. Visit them online at www.nwnstar.com.
0: Now, fire up a packet capture, pour yourself a beer, and give the intern control of your botnet, Here's your host. He's a few no ops short of an exploit, socially engineers the elderly, and is known as the kill bit at parties. He also likes to have the interns sit in his lap as they learn to hack, Paul
1: Asadorian! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly. This is, in fact, episode number 243, and it is, in fact, May 12th, 2011 joined here in studio by intern ian see oh. that's the whole thing now you have we put intern in front of your first name and then your intern ian forever like, and always until well until such time you grab, although mike um he registered intern mike so <laughs> on twitter so he's like even though he's not in anyway
0: yeah he he like registered that and then like two months later you made him the executive producer
1: no it was like a year so you still got oh, a lot okay. of lap sitting to do you here in the studio <laughs> Hello, on everybody. the soundboards Yay. Ian's coming up to speed. He's on the video yeah, board, video so we're, uh, yeah. we're having a, a rock and rolling good time. Mr. Carlos Perez, speaking <laughs> of rock and rolling good times, is here via the magic of our phone bridge. Welcome, Carlos.
2: Hey, Paul. Happy to be here today.
1: Yeah. Even yeah, I heard you went to the dentist today. You feeling okay? Oh, uh,
2: yeah. 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 had, had some drilling done on my teeth. that haven't been taking care of my dentures a lot, so... And I have I have some
1: major work ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, I love the dentist. So, but everybody knows oh, yeah. that. Oh
2: yeah,
1: my, my my dentist is hot. Also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Paul.com We all have hot dentists. Uh, oh, yeah. John, Strand, John Strand. John yeah. Strand might be joining us. I'm not sure if he's here yet. We're still waiting that's for John. Name, we're, we're we're still waiting for uh, someone. Our,
0: someone join our yeah, guest. I Ma-
1: is that Marsha? Right. Are you there?
3: Yes, that's Marsha.
1: Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? Good, good. We're just going to we're going to finish up some announcements really quick and I'll come back and I will give you the, a proper introduction. Okay,
3: sounds good.
1: Okay, thanks. Uh, Carlos, paul.com uh, español. Can you say something in Spanish about that?
3: Oh,
2: claro que sí. Próximamente estaremos teniendo nuestro próximo episodio De pocos, y también ya estamos coordinando episodios futuros con gente en el área del habla castellana, especialistas en seguridad desde España,
4: Latinoamérica, ¿Mático? Estados Unidos, de todos lados.
1: What did you call my mother?
4: How (laughs) dare you? (laughs) Bueno, bueno, bueno.
1: Uh, Sign up for our Black Hat training courses. Paul.com, Black Hat training, offensive countermeasures, making defense sexy, a two-day course at Black Hat. Also, tenable network security, Black Hat training. Sign up for advanced vulnerability scanning techniques using Nessus. Both links are in the show notes. The other announcement that I... Uh, there, there might, there will be some stuff on writing Nasl. I don't know how advanced it will be, uh, for the next iteration of the course. But that uh, using the API, uh, writing Nasl, writing audit files are all things that are being uh, shoved into the advanced Nessus training class. So
2: yeah, I've been, I, I've been getting a lot of people telling me that you need to make your students cry and you may, and you need to make them suffer. Yes. So, what a bet! What better way? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it off there's get There's there's going to okay. be some
1: uh, – I'm, I'm trying to build into a, a challenge into the course where students are given a problem um, or find a vulnerability in – uh, a custom web application that I've developed, or, or modified, rather. And uh, so I hope to include that in there. So that should be that should be pretty fun. Uh, let's see. The last announcement I had here is I wanted to remind everyone to read our blog, participate in our mailing list, visit Paul.com insider, follow us on Twitter, and watch our videos That's and links mouthful. to do... That is a mouthful. Links to do all that stuff.
0: It's a lot of homework.
1: It's a lot of homework, and all of your homework, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for this episode 243, and a link to all that stuff is in there.
0: Click so, on it, just click on everything.
1: Click on everything. Read. Spider us if you want. Participate, visit, follow, and watch. All right there. You like that? Whole thing. All in one spot. That's right. Okay, so we're going to take a short break and come back with our special guest. It is our pleasure to welcome Marsha Hoffman from the EFF, a senior staff attorney, where she focuses on computer crime and security, electronic privacy, free speech, and other digital civil liberties issues. Uh, Prior to EFF, Marsha was staff counselor and director of the Open Government Project at the Electronic Privacy Information Center. Welcome, Marsha.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yes, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm told you gave uh, a ShmooCon presentation as well. Very nice. We were there at ShmooCon. Uh,
3: yes, I did. Did you see my presentation?
1: Uh, I did not. Sorry.
3: Well, that's okay. That's why I'm here today.
1: Okay. Yeah, you can tell us all about. It. So <laughs> I, I guess that's a good place to start. Um, so, what was the topic of your ShmooCon presentation?
3: So I gave a talk at ShmooCon about um, searches and seizures of computers and digital information.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, in the United States the Constitution says that we have a right against unreasonable government searches and seizures, and that's a right that's developed over a, a long period of time. And, um, you know, the, the rules have been developed by the courts um, over centuries. And the way that those rules are getting applied to computers um, is uh, is really interesting. And computers present some very difficult issues because, um, you know, they're, they're unlike anything the courts have ever seen before. And so, Basically, my talk was about the way that the courts are handling those sorts of things, and also some of the problematic situations that that come up, like searches of computers at the border, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. So, how do you how do you differentiate between? So, I'm, I'm going through maybe a border crossing, and I have a I have a like in the olden days, right? I have a bag, and someone could go through my bag, and there's probably little I could do to prevent something from going through my bag. But nowadays, I have a computer that's maybe inside the bag, and they take the computer out, and I've encrypted the hard drive. That's like a much harder thing to to figure out. So, what are, what are some of the things happening with respects to encrypted laptop hard drives?
3: Yeah, yeah, you're you're totally right. So here's the deal at the border. Um, you know, the Fourth Amendment, uh, which protects us against unreasonable searches and, and seizures, does apply at the border, mm-hmm. but um, the courts have basically said over the years that uh, because the search happens at the border. And the government has a good reason to search stuff at the border, like, mm-hmm. for example, to keep, you know, contraband or illegal right. stuff from coming into the country. So, is this coming
1: in or going out, or either way, doesn't matter. Both. Okay. Okay. Um,
3: basically, at the border, any search by the government is considered per se reasonable, mm-hmm. um, unless, you know, there are are circumstances that are a little bit um, a little bit uh, extreme. Mm-hmm. And when I when I say that, what I mean is that, like. They can't um, search uh, a person's, uh, you know, let's say the interior of a person's body
4: mm-hmm.
3: without um, a reasonable suspicion that they're going to find evidence of a crime there.
4: Mm-hmm. But
3: otherwise, if you're just talking about property, including computers, the courts have said that they don't need any suspicion of wrongdoing at all, which means that in theory they could search everybody's computers if they had the resources and the time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, they don't and at least not at this point. And so, you know, I I think what ends up happening is, you know, they they search a a number of computers. Um, I think it often tends, you know, practically to be people that they have some sort of suspicion about. But the point is that, you know, they could search anybody's computer if they wanted to. They don't have to have any suspicion. And so, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, are surprised to learn that when you take your computer over the border, the stuff on there is is totally not protected. And Mm so... um, the best so what thing they to do? Is takes you know certain technical measures to protect right. your stuff.
1: So right. what are, what are they looking for in some like? Can you give some examples of what like a probable cause would be for them to search, and what they're actually looking for?
3: Um, well, you know the the thing is they don't need probable cause. Um, mm-hmm. You know just to be clear. Um, so they, just
1: like crossing the border is probable cause. In other well, words, well,
3: you know the, the the thinking about it is you know they they have an interest in making sure that illegal stuff doesn't come over, and so. Um, considering that people are crossing the borders and, you know, kind of putting themselves in that situation, they can they can just search willy-nilly and that would be okay. Mm. Um, as a practical matter, I think that, uh, you know, what they tend to be looking for often um, is evidence of a crime like, for example, um, you know, in the computer context, uh, perhaps child pornography mm-hmm. might be something they might often be looking for. You know, perhaps if you are a traveler coming from a certain country and, you know, you... Uh, you know, fit a certain profile, they might think that you are the type of person who might have that on your on your laptop, and mm-hmm. so they might look for that.
4: Mm. Interesting.
5: So in crossing the border, you're you're required to submit to them to taking your PC. Is that, so say I had an encrypted drive, is that also, am I required to give you access to it, or do I just give you the physical box and
1: say you can do it if you want to with it, or do I need to give you my keys as well?
3: Yeah, that's a super good question. And, um, you know, th- the deal with that is this. Um, they can't make you turn over your encryption keys or passwords or anything like that. Um, only a judge can make you do that. And um, sometimes not even a judge can make you do that. And the reason is um, there is a Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. And that privilege says that, you know, the government can't make you uh, give testimony against yourself that would be incriminating. And a couple of courts have looked at this, and they've said that, um, you know, government demands uh, for passwords, or if the government tries to force you to turn over passwords or encryption keys, um, that is stuff that, that falls um, within that protection, because basically what they're what they're trying to force you to do is admit that you have control over certain stuff that you know might be able to uh, incriminate you in certain circumstances. And so, um, you know, the courts so far have basically, you know, said that in, in those particular cases. The government can't force you to do that. Um, Now, I have to say, I do think as a practical matter, um, it depends for the traveler, right, whether they're comfortable refusing to provide that sort of cooperation. And I think that this starts to get really tricky for international travelers because they might be worried that they're not going to be able to enter the country if they're not cooperative. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And um, so, you know, whether or not you want to give over your passwords when they ask for them may be a different story. Mm -hmm. So
2: uh-huh. Right now, uh, this is also including, let's say, mobile devices like tablets and and phones, the smartphones, right?
3: Yes, absolutely. Because one so,
2: of the things I've is that, uh, let's say, I, I saw the case uh, in Massachusetts where even police officers in normal stops were taking uh, cell phones and just copying off data out of them.
3: Yeah, there's been a big news story about that recently. And, you know, another situation where that tends to come up is, um, you know, a a lot of courts now are starting to look at the question of what happens if you get arrested and you happen to have um, a cell phone in your pocket. Um, You know, the general rule under the Fourth Amendment is that the the government has to get a warrant before they search your stuff, um, as long as you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the thing they want to search. And, but there are some, some exceptions to that. And one of the exceptions that's developed over the years um, is an exception when you get arrested. Um, and the courts have said that when you get arrested, you know the cops can basically pat you down and look in your pockets and, and see if you're carrying anything that, A, uh, might be something that could be a weapon that you might use to harm them, or, B, uh, might be evidence of the thing that they're arresting you for that you might destroy if they don't take it away from you. And, um, you know, the courts have really struggled with how to apply this exception to cell phones. Because, you know, over the years, it's become pretty clear that, you know, the police, you know, do have this, um, do have this authority to search in those circumstances. But, you know, the, the rationales that, um, you know, support that authority don't really exist in the context of a cell phone. And so, um, the Ohio Supreme Court recently said, no, you know, the police can't just search your cell phone and everything on it merely because they arrest you. Mm. And the California Supreme Court has gone the other way. Mm. And so, you know, it's really interesting to see how that's going to play out.
1: Yeah, so how is that different? So suppose someone were to get arrested for, you know, getting into a fight and the police pat them down and they find drugs on them. Can Mm -hmm. they prosecute them for possession of drugs even though they're arresting them for something totally different?
3: So... I would say probably yes. They could use that because mm-hmm. you know they are in a situation where um, you know, kind of, as they're trying to uh, you know secure the person and you know um, you know make sure that uh, you know they're they don't have a weapon on them or anything else. They do come across that. You know, I, I think that they probably could use it against them. Yeah.
1: Right. But now, um, now let's th- say the they thing find is a one little
3: one. bit. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: So let's say now that they find a cell phone on this person and they copy the contents off and they find stolen credit cards or something mm-hmm. now can they prosecute them for that
3: well I know that's you know I think that's the big question that's mm. kind of out there mm. you know I think for one thing um, they should have to get a warrant before they look at the contents of the cell phone mm-hmm. and um, you know if, if they have reason to believe that there is evidence of some crime on there then I they see. can get a warrant yeah, but yeah. if they don't mm-hmm. then they shouldn't be able to search your phone right. And, um, you know, so I, I think that that's where this, you know, really interesting legal battle comes into play because, you know, we're going to see how the various uh, courts decide it. And, um, you know, it looks like the states are going different ways. So maybe that's something that the Supreme Court's going to take a look at.
4: Mm.
1: And, and that's typically how it works, right? If there is a particular ruling where the states start to become split, the U.S. Supreme Court will weigh
4: in?
3: Yeah, often often the Supreme Court will. Um you know, it's really up to the Supreme Court which, which cases it wants to take.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: so if it sees an issue out there where courts are going different ways and it just wants to settle the question, you know, once and for all, often it will take the case.
1: Right, right. So what can we do to protect our data? Say when we're, I mean, a lot of us in information security listening to this podcast, uh, we cross borders all the time, right, to go speak at conferences or visit different countries and, and, and that kind of stuff. So what can we do to protect our data uh, in the best way possible that won't get us in trouble either
4: way.
3: So we have a few suggestions about that, and, you know, these are, these are not either-or things. I mean, you know, we suggest that you do as many of these things as you want. You know, I think there's obviously a trade-off between how much time and effort you want to put into securing your data and, um, you know, how convenient you want your travel to be. So um, one suggestion that we have is, you know, just carry as little data as you can over the border uh travel with a clean device uh that contains only the information you actually need for your trip mm-hmm. and um you know before you come back to the United States securely delete that data mm-hmm. um you know that way uh, as little data as possible is there for border agents to look at um you know we 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 suggest that people consider um basically just having a laptop for travel Mm-hmm. Something that really has very minimal data on it and, um, you know, something that you just don't mind wiping when you're, when you're, you know, finished with your travels. And, um, you know, that way you never have to risk, um, you know, the possibility that they will be rummaging around through years and years and years of data on your laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing we suggest is, you know, obviously encrypting the data on your device. Um, you know, we talked a little bit already about encryption keys and passwords and things. Um, you know, they can't, uh, you know, the, the border agents can't make you turn that stuff over, but, you know, they may be able to make your life a little bit difficult if you choose not to turn them over. So, you know, I think it's up to you whether you, um, you know, want to, you know, risk the uh, the possibility of hassle. Um, but uh, if you have encrypted information, then, you know, obviously it's going to be much more difficult for them to uh, view your records and if, if they, you know, were able to just view it in plain text. Mm-hmm. Um, we also suggest, you know, one possibility is, you know, keep your data stored somewhere else, which is just a good idea anyway, um, and download it when you reach your destination. So basically mm-hmm. take a clean laptop with you when you leave the country, uh, download the data you need when you get there, then, you know, wipe your laptop before you come back.
1: So the, the searches and seizures that are happening, they're not plugging the machines into the network and accessing things from them? Like, have there been reported cases of that?
3: So I have not heard any uh, stories about that. But then again, I also think it's difficult to know exactly what their practices are Mm -hmm. because I I think often they take computers away from people to search them. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And so, so you know, what, what their actual, you know, practices are, you know, are difficult to say. Um, both Customs and Border Protection and, um, ICE, which is, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, mm-hmm. have guidelines where they talk about, you know, what the agents are allowed to do and what they aren't allowed to do. But, you know, it, they're, they're fairly, you know, short and general documents. And so, you know, you don't get a whole, uh, lot of idea about, you know, what they're able to do, um, you know, technically,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, from those policies. So, right. um, so but, you know, that's um... an interesting question. I don't know the answer to.
1: Did the Patriot Act, uh, change a lot of the laws surrounding computer search and seizure?
3: Well, you know, the Patriot Act is, you know, a broad law that addresses a whole bunch of different, um, aspects of both foreign intelligence gathering law and criminal law. Um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, for example, border searches, I don't think it's really affected things a great deal. Um, I will say that there have been some laws that have really loosened, um, uh you know restrictions on the government's ability to uh surveil uh information uh particularly that travels internationally.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so um, you know because of that, you know, I, I, I want to be clear that, you know, even if you decide to, you know, download your data elsewhere, um and, you know, have it on, on your computer, even if you don't bring it over the border. Like, that doesn't mean that the data itself is totally secure.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So, d- is the the Patriot Act give folks uh, more purview <laughs> into what people are doing so that now when people are crossing borders, they're more likely to succumb to a, a search and seizure? That's kind of what it says. Well,
3: you know, it's not just the Patriot Act. There have mm-hmm. been uh, several laws that, um, you know, very much in, in, in particular have been geared at um, increasing the government's ability to, uh, surveil communications, um, you know, when they're concerned about, uh, uh, you know, foreign intelligence gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, those are mostly situations where they, you know, believe that somebody is, uh, you know, is the, the target of the, uh, of the surveillance is, um, associated with some sort of foreign power. So I don't think it's so much like you know there's that there that you know the, the laws authorize you know you know just dragnet surveillance per se, but you know in certain circumstances I I would say that they there are looser restrictions there than there were in the past. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a list or a resource, uh, let's say, out there that at least can give it some guidelines, depending state by state, or let's say country by country? I remember. Uh, in my previous job, I used to cover a lot of countries, and we, uh, at the office, while talking with other people who travel, we were always uh, hearing about traveling, let's say specifically to the UK, mm-hmm. where you, where if the border agent actually asks you for your private keys for encryption. You have to give them your private keys due to law over there.
3: Yeah, that's a really good question, because I, I certainly know that uh, the situation is different in the U.K. with respect to encryption keys. Um, and, you know, of course, everything I'm telling you is just about U.S. law. You know, I'm a, I'm a U.S. lawyer, and that's the stuff that I know. Um, I don't know, I'm not aware of a comprehensive resource out there that lists all of the country's laws in this area. But what I would do is, if you're thinking you're going to travel to a certain country, um, take a look. And see if you can find a civil liberties organization in that country that might have some information about the laws there, and you know, if need be, give them a call um, or shoot them a note. I'm sure they'd be happy to help out. And um, you know, lawyers in in the particular country that you're coming to are gonna or, or that that you're traveling to are going to be in a better situation to tell you exactly what the laws are there. So, okay,
2: in terms of uh, resources. Uh, per state, what is happening? Let's say you mentioned that there's a difference between California and Ohio. There's, uh, a kind of resource that can tell us state by state, uh, what is the current situation?
3: Well, let me think about that. You know, there are some resources out there that do a really good job of listing, uh, the different laws in different states on particular issues. Um, in terms of, uh, stuff like, like, uh, like Border searches, or, uh, or rather, you know, uh, the state-specific law on Fourth Amendment, uh, Fourth Amendment issues. You know, we we try to blog about this stuff as much as we can at EFF. Um, the ACLU, I would say, is a good is a good spot as well. If you're traveling to a specific state and you're concerned about what the state of the law might be in that place, you know, the ACLU has a state chapter pretty much everywhere. So that might be a good place to start as well.
1: So, Marshall, I want to talk about a, a case that we discussed, um, not that we're lawyers or anything, like we're discussing a case like we're lawyers, but <laughs> we certainly do a lot of pretending that we're lawyers sometimes, uh, always with the caveat. But we discussed a case where there was a man that I believe was uh, Buffalo, New York, and he had a wireless access point set up for his house. And one morning, he woke up to the FBI raiding his home and taking all of his computer cell phones and and iPads, and Mm -hmm. it was because his neighbor was downloading child pornography through his internet uh, connection. Mm -hmm. So is this something, I guess the first part, is this something we're seeing uh, more and more of? And two, if the police find evidence of other crimes on there, could you then be prosecuted for that?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. We've been talking a lot about that case around here, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I guess I would say that I do not hear about this happening a whole lot.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But when I do hear about it, you know, it's, it's because, you know, just like you, I think probably, you know, I read something about it in the news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, perhaps this happens more often than we know. And it just doesn't get publicized or those people don't call us or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly is a big risk with operating open Wi-Fi. And, you know, we're, we are very supportive of the idea. Of um, of people uh, operating uh, open Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we think that it's it's a good social practice. It's a it's a good thing uh, for society in general when you know you're you're able to connect to the internet pretty much wherever you are, and you you may have very good reasons for doing so, but you know there's also that risk out there that you know somebody might use your Wi-Fi and they might do something that that looks pretty bad, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know the, the the powers that be may not realize that it's not you.
1: Right now, is, and, there, is, is there cases of like non-electronic stuff that along those same lines that can help us out? Like if I don't know if I leave a stick in my garbage can and someone impales himself on it, or you know, is is there other things like that that we can draw from to, to help guide us in this situation?
3: That's a really good question. I you know I guess I haven't thought about it a whole lot. If you have suggestions, I'd love to hear them. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, this tends to be kind of a unique situation because in the physical world, perhaps it's generally easier to tell, um, you know, that, that a person is, uh, you know, Tom instead of, of Jim. Right. Um, or if
1: someone's using my resources to commit a crime, in other circumstances, that seems like a more cut and dry kind of thing, Right.
3: Well, yeah, and you know the way that the law has developed, um, you know, there are concepts of like you know, conspiracy or aiding and abetting, but you know, the general idea there is that you have to, you have to have some intention that that the crime be done, you
1: right, know. Right, right. And so, like if I leave a loaded weapon in my driveway and then someone picks it up and shoots someone with it, like that's different than leaving my Wi-Fi open, right? <laughs>
3: Well, I, I have to say, I've never seen a case where, you know, a judge has decided that one. You know, I, right, I think right, it would right, be,
4: right. you know,
3: pretty, you know, irresponsible to do that. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I mean, you know, why would you leave a, I mean, wh- what good reason would there be for leaving a loaded gun in your driveway, yeah, right? because you know it's there are it's all sorts da- of good reasons for having open Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah, because you know it's dangerous to leave the gun in your driveway, but you're not, I mean, you're not running under, under the assumption that it's dangerous for you to leave your Wi-Fi open, Right. Right.
3: Mm. Exactly. Mm, I and, um, you know, it, it, just because, you know, somebody may use your Wi-Fi for something that's really bad doesn't mean that you meant for them to do it or right. that you had any part in it, you know? Like if
1: someone steals your car, obviously they stole your car and did something bad with it. I guess maybe that's a better example.
3: Well, but but then again, I mean, still, I mean, it, it's your car. I mean, you don't mean for them to do something bad with it, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And
1: same thing with your Wi-Fi. You don't mean for someone to do something bad with the Wi-Fi.
3: Exactly, and so you know, I you know, I am going to be very interested to see that you know to see the way that this plays out. You know, mm-hmm. I I feel really bad for that family that that happened to, mm. um, and I'm sure it's extremely stressful and upsetting. And you know, you you raised a really good question earlier, which is okay. So suppose they take the guy's computer. And it turns out he wasn't the one, you know, doing the thing right. that they were concerned about. But well, they, they took, find something else on there, right?
1: They took all his computers. Now, right. if they raided my house, they'd be here, first of all, they'd be here for a while, <laughs> loading, <you> know, <laughs> unloading all the computers. But that's a, that's a huge inconvenience for something that, you know, it wasn't a crime you committed, right?
3: No, totally. And, you know, the, the, um, the situation raises a really interesting question that, that I don't think is completely resolved by... The law at this point, mm-hmm. which is what happens if they stumble across something else on there that they right. weren't actually looking for, but right. still might get you into trouble, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah.
3: And um, there is this uh, this concept in Fourth Amendment law called uh, pl- called plain view, and this is another one of these exceptions to the warrant requirement. And the idea is that you know if the cops, uh, let's say, um, get a warrant to search your house. Mm-hmm. Um, for I don't know, evidence of tax evasion, mm-hmm. and they walk into your house, and you know, right there on the coffee table is a whole bunch of cocaine. Right. Then you or know, really,
1: they walk in and it's just gigantic warehouse of marijuana plants. That's right, exactly. I, I mean, yeah. you
3: know, the <laughs> idea is like they don't have to ignore that and pretend they never saw it. I gotcha, you know, I gotcha. at that point, yeah. they're allowed to take it and use it against you, right? Yeah.
1: Which makes so, I mean, that that's this common sense, right? Right. I mean, totally, it's you're, common you're, sense, and
3: in the physical world, you can mm-hmm. see exactly how that how that works right? Right, right but you know there are all kinds of interesting issues about how you apply that to computers and to data right mm. i mean what is what is in plain view exactly on mm-hmm. your computer mm-hmm. and um you know there have been situations uh you know there, there have been these cases where uh you know the police search a computer to look for one thing like let's say child porn and then they're like well you know we can't be sure that every file on it isn't child porn unless we look at it, because, you know, people mm-hmm. could be changing the extensions or whatever, you know, trying to mislead us and make, it think, mm-hmm. make us think that it's not child porn. So we have to look at everything just to make sure. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they stumble across something, and then they say, oh, hey, sorry, plain view. Mm. And, um, you know, the courts have gone, you know, different ways on that. Um, although I think it's worth noting that recently um, a federal appeals court, which is, you know, pretty high-level court, um, basically said that, you know, it's really inappropriate for the government to, you know, to pull stuff like that, mm-hmm. and that, you know, they should be required to, uh, at least one judge said they should be required to, you know, to not rely on that when they're seizing uh, data pursuant to a warrant, which I thought was interesting, and, you know, we'll have to see if other uh, judges decide to take that approach.
4: Mm-hmm. But,
3: yeah, I mean, that's a super interesting question, and it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. I have a question in terms of, um, something that I call, um, government
2: harassment in, in terms of, let's say, uh, many times I've seen cases where, uh, you become a person of interest for the government, uh, either politically or simply you piss off somebody higher up in the food chain or somebody who is, uh, let's say, a lobbyist for somebody, and all of a sudden you get added to one of the different lists that the government has, and you're trying to travel, you're trying to move around, and even the person at the ticket counters has, oh, sorry, sir, you have to wait here. The computer tells me that we have to get TSA involved or that we get got to call an agent. And when you try to dig up, let's say, with the... Or this, or, or When you come in, the border agents automatically see everything out of you every time, and when you ask what's the reason, you're never given a reason. Is there any changes out there where the government has to give you at least a reason why are you being targeted this way? Uh, one example could be the example of Moxie. Mm-hmm. Moxie has been going through living hell every time he has to travel. He gets stopped. At every airport, he gets a uh, question at every a- airport. He, all of his equipment, all of his gear gets searched at every airport. And every time he asks, why am I getting searched? Why am I getting stopped? Uh, they just go carte blanche and say, we cannot tell you.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this yeah. Is there any changes to that? To stop that kind of
4: harassment?
3: So I'm not aware of anything that's afoot to, uh, change this general situation from a legal perspective. Um, you know, since nine eleven, I think this kind of stuff has really um, increased in frequency, and there's been a big push um, to consolidate all of the various watch lists that were out there throughout the government. And um, now there's one uh, database out there, basically one consolidated list that that has um, you know all the folks that they're you know concerned about on it. And um, not surprisingly, you know, they, they conduct it with a great deal of secrecy. And, you know, I think it's difficult to know what would get you on that list. Um, you know, I think a huge problem for people um, is the, the issue of misidentification. Mm. Um, that is, you know, perhaps you share a name with somebody who is genuinely of interest. And, um, you know, when you travel, uh, you have a lot of... Trouble because they're confusing you with that person.
1: That happens to Carlos all the time. There must be some really bad Carlos Perez's out there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep,
2: and, and it even happened uh, recently when I, I changed jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. HR called me and started asking me, Are you Carlos Perez from San Antonio, who's a drug dealer? Are you the Carlos Perez from California? who's a weapons dealer, uh, are <laughs> you this Gosh. other Carlos Ferris who's but. wanted for murder? <laughs> and they started going like, a no, 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 no. Uh, but in the case of uh, Moxie, I doubt there are a lot of Moxie Marlin Spikes out yeah, there. Yeah, this is true. This per- is good,
1: point. good point, good yeah. point.
3: Yeah, I can't really speak to Moxie's situation. Um, it is my suspicion that Moxie Marlin Spike is not his real name. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a possibility that, you know, his real name, you know, does produce a misidentification. Maybe it's the case they're, you know, maybe it's the case it's not a misidentification. I don't know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that people can do, and it's not clear to me how effective this is, but, you know, it's worth thinking about at least. Um, the uh, Transportation Security Administration, TSA, they have this uh, program called TRIP, Um which is um, meant to help people uh, resolve issues that they have uh, like this. And, um, you know, basically you make a complaint to them. They may ask you for certain information perhaps to, you know, confirm that, you know, you're not somebody that they're genuinely really, really, really interested in. And if you're having trouble with misidentification or, you know, whatever else, if it's something that they can help resolve, then they'll they make an effort to do that.
5: So quick I got a quick question. This is John John Strand. Strand. Sorry, just dialed in. Welcome, John. (laughs) Hi. Hello.
4: Hello. Um,
5: One of the questions I have is how do we actually start dialing this stuff back? Because right now, my biggest fear is. I can only see this type of infringement getting worse, like seeing it extend to trains, which they're already talking about, extending to schools, because dear God, won't somebody think of the children, and mm-hmm. then malls, and then any public place. So how do we prevent that from happening, or more accurately, how do we start scaling some of this insanity back?
4: Yeah,
3: that's that's a great question. You know, I, I think the best thing that we can do is, you know, be vigilant for stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a new phenomenon that the government, you know, seizes upon every... Um, you know, possible excuse that it can to try to increase its its law enforcement powers and its surveillance powers. And, you know, what we what we try to do at EFF is, you know, when things like that come up, we say, come on, is that really necessary? And, you know, we try to engage in that debate. And, um, you know, I, I like to think that, that, you know, we're fairly successful at, you know, helping to convince folks that, you know, some, sometimes these are not great ideas. Um, of course, I think that the circumstances of the day often tend to play into this. And after 9-11, there certainly was, you know, a lot of ramping up of this kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'm naive about this, but, you know, I, I do think that this is very much a pendulum, and I think that there will come a point where perhaps there's a feeling that the circumstances of the day don't really require us to have, you know, this extent of, you know, law enforcement authority, and then maybe we can start thinking about how to scale it back a bit.
1: Marsha, I had uh, I had a question uh, in terms of the TSA. Uh-huh. And this is a personal experience that I had, and I'm wondering how it would apply to the digital computer search and seizure that we talked about. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was traveling through uh, airport security. I checked my bag. My bag had butane lighters in it. They took my butane lighters because it was on their list of things that you should not have in your luggage. And I, after a significant amount of research and phone calls and in questioning personally TSA agents at the airport that took them, I have absolutely zero recourse for getting my personal items back. Mm -hmm. So could they just take, what if it was a digital item that they thought could have been something that was, you know, not allowed? Can they just take it and then you have no recourse to get it back?
3: So, you know, I mentioned before that ICE and uh, CBP have these policies that Mm -hmm. are, you know, they're public and they're out there. And, um, I don't know exactly how this works with TSA, I have mm-hmm. to admit, but mm-hmm. for CBP and ICE at least, um you know, if they seize um a digital device or mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, if they seize a digital device, they're supposed to give it back to you within a certain amount of time.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, not surprisingly, they keep that a-, a bit vague, and I think it's, you know, for them, the amount of time that they uh you know, aspire to keep it, Mm -hmm. is going to depend on things like whether, you know, there's encrypted data on there and they're having a hard time getting access to that data or, you know, perhaps whether there's a big backlog of things they need to search. But in theory, you're supposed to get your stuff back at some point.
1: Right. So TSA is not supposed to just be able to take your stuff with no recourse.
3: Like I said, TSA I'm not 100% sure about, but I can't imagine that they're allowed to do that. I mean, I, I would think that... Um, you know, when they took your, your lighters, did they give you uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, like a, like a like, I guess, a receipt?
1: They left me a note that was not specific to the items they took or uh, it was specific to the airport that took them, but that was about it. But there was no, like, number associated with, like, the items they took or anything.
3: Right. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't give you legal advice and I can't, you know, speak to... Uh, you know their authority to do to do any of this, but mm-hmm. you know I, I I would assume that you know it's unlikely that TSA really has the authority to keep things forever. Right. Um, so I don't. If there's a way to follow up, you might you might check on that.
1: So they told me that the items were destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which I guess, in the terms of a computer device, if you believe them, then obviously they're not going to present any incriminating evidence against you if your devices were destroyed, but. Still, I didn't think that was – that didn't sit well with me.
5: It still, Dude, got to let those letters go. I can't they're... let it go. I, okay, so
1: I've <laughs> since bought new lighters, and uh, I, I like to think I've moved on. I'm just, I guess, cautioning other people. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you, John, for bringing me back to reality. So the next question I had, Marsha, was I wanted to talk about a case, and I, I should have said this to you before, but I wanted to talk about a, a, a person called Eric Stets And Eric was a very strange individual um, that was very paranoid. And he set up in his apartment uh, a booby trap, and he basically duct taped a kitchen knife to a crutch and put it around a rubber band so that when people would open his door, this contraption would come flying at them. Lo and behold, his landlord goes into the apartment, opens the door, this thing comes flying at him. Fortunately, the landlord was not hurt. Uh, and Eric uh, – I forget the exact char- – again, I'm a, I'm a geek, not a lawyer by any stretch of the imagination. But there was charges brought against him basically saying he can't do that. That's, you know, that's a bad thing to do. My question is if – is kind of well, – because we're going to transition into the digital realm of what if we set up traps, right? Um, but in Eric's case, what if he had put a warning banner that said there are lethal traps if you go through this door? And the second part of the question is if we do this digitally – what steps should we take in order to, one, work with our legal department and warn people who are coming in our networks and systems?
3: Okay, so I have to tell you, with respect to the whole landlord thing, Yeah. Like at that point, we're getting totally out of my expertise. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. That's I mean, fine.
3: I have to. I have to imagine that giving warning
1: yeah. would
3: probably make the situation better. Right. Um, but yeah. I, you know, in terms of like, you know, whether somebody could be still legally responsible or not, mm-hmm. I don't know whether or or not that's decisive. Right. Right. Um, I still think it's a bad
1: idea to put lethal traps. Like you're probably generally, gonna,
3: I agree. Yeah, yes. you're probably
1: going to be in some legal trouble, right?
3: Yes, I I think that you know if you're doing anything. You know, intentionally that, that might kill somebody. It's probably not a good idea. Um, would would be my guess. Um, you know, in in terms of the digital stuff, I you know, I'd, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more uh, about what you have in mind.
4: Mm.
1: John. Or, you know, you
3: don't have to
4: tell me. No, no, no,
1: no. I was just trying to get John engaged because John, so the background story here is that John uh, originally developed this research where um, we dubbed it uh, offensive countermeasures and I've been helping out with it as of late and we've been presenting about this uh, several different techniques that we can do to kind of take what John and I have learned attacking networks and apply it to defending networks Mm. and we've got Mm -hmm. a lot of questions for lawyers, and since you're on the show, I thought I'd borrow some of your time, hopefully free of charge. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Well, well, a couple of things. We we shouldn't talk about this right now because um, if I give you um, any legal advice, it should be privileged.
4: Right, and if other right.
3: people hear it, it's not going to be it's not going to be privileged and confidential. Okay. <laughs>
4: So, and,
3: um, you, I'm not 100% sure that I am the best person to help you. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, if I am not, I can do everything I can to refer you to somebody. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, we shouldn't talk about this in public. All right. Okay. And no, so fair. why don't you give me a call, and we'll we'll discuss it more in private.
5: No, that's fair. And Paul, <laughs> pa- Paul for the love of God, whatever we do, mm. let's not do multiple webcasts, and we should probably be careful of uh, Black Hat, too. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> no, we were, we were trying to get advice, uh, specific legal advice for you, but it's basically one of the areas of research that we've been working on um, is basically... If somebody comes into your property, like for example, your computer, and they steal some of your intellectual property, let's say a Word doc, and in there it has a callback function. So those are just some of the types of things that we've been working through, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, yes, we have been in contact with some attorneys, some, some of them out of the Denver area. But, uh, but no, it's one of those areas of research that we're starting to look into as far as defending our own property whenever we're talking about our own intellectual property. So,
1: Marshall, what I tell people is to consult with their own legal teams and discuss, plan, and document what they're going to do, um, in order to kind of cover all their bases, so to speak.
3: I, I think that that's a very good idea, and you know, if you're doing this in your professional capacity, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I absolutely think that this is something that um, you know that uh, the lawyers that that you work with will will want to know about, and you should talk to them about. No question, right, no question.
1: Right. Yeah, so I, I think
3: that that's a very good approach.
1: I don't want people to see people end up like Eric Stets in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. That's how I phrase it to them. Well, and so. and if
3: anybody has any fear that they may end up like Eric Stets, mm-hmm. um, you know, they. Should uh, feel free to um, give us a call before they do anything that they're thinking about doing, and you know we would be happy to talk it through with them. But um, but like I said, that should be that should be a confidential conversation.
1: Excellent. No, that's the exact information that we were looking for. Awesome. Good. Thank you so much, Marcia. Uh Was there anything else you wanted to tell our listeners about uh, places you might be talking, or things that you wanted to caution people about, and any of the subjects that we talked about?
3: Well, let me think. I'm going to be speaking at Source Seattle
1: mm-hmm. um, next month. Okay.
3: And I'll be talking about um, new developments in cybercrime. And mm-hmm. so if anybody's going to be there, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet you. Please feel free to come to my talk. Um, and, you know, as as always, uh, EFF will be at Black Hat and at DEF CON. And if uh, if folks want to talk to us in advance about presentations that they're thinking about doing and, uh, you know, the best way to do their research, you know, we're we're happy to talk to folks about that, too.
1: Excellent. We love the EFF. Everyone should go donate, and we love having uh, members of the EFF on the show.
0: Titanium member,
1: right here.
4: Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Right, that's very nice. So thank,
1: well, thank you very, you very much, much, Marcia. Thanks for
3: thanks for having me on. And, and anytime you want me back, I'd love I'd, I'd be happy to come back.
1: That sounds great. Thanks, Marsha.
3: Thank you. Take care.
1: You too. Bye bye. So we got a lot of fun stories to talk about this week. Um, actually, we've got uh, the blog. I have to say. And now, I'm really biased, obviously, but I think that I firmly believe the Paul.com blog had some of the best stories this week.
5: I don't know. Woo! There were some pretty yeah, good it was stories. It was, it was definitely Woo! Fun, yeah. The Paul.com blog. Woo-hoo! And you know what? We didn't intend it that way at all. It's just we had a bunch of people show up and do some amazing stuff. Carlos kicked ass. Carlos, Carlos.
1: Carlos why don't you start? Are you still there, my friend? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. Why don't you start? Your first post this week was virtualizing Junos on VMware. Now, I like this post for a lot of reasons. Well, first, it was written by our very own Carlos Perez. Uh, second, the hardware for Junos to run on is expensive, right? Juniper routers are expensive. This lets you do that without having to set up a really expensive test lab. And I think by virtualizing your routers, you can configuration, test new configurations, make changes without incurring all these costs, or disrupting your production systems, which I think is awesome. It's a win all around. I love the detailed instructions in here. And I think it's really cool that S is based on FreeBSD Date.
2: Yep. And in fact, uh, one of the things is, uh, as I promised in the last show that I was going to start posting a bit more about network security and how to secure your stuff, the, the way I'm starting is how to build your lab. So. First, I started with Junos. Mm-hmm. Next week, I'm going to write on how to get install uh, get GNS3 installed with Dynamips. That will let you uh, virtualize Cisco routers, Cisco ASA, Cisco Pix, and you'll also be able to virtualize inside of uh, GNS3 integrating uh, QEMU, Unos um, also, and you can build a full lab, routing lab where you can even have frame relay, MPLS, OSPF, and you can start doing research, packet captures, testing different configurations for a Cisco environment or a mixed environment of Cisco with UNOS. Mm. And probably, let's say, um, you can also put uh, Liata routers, also virtualized inside QMO. So one of the things is I want to start first, this is how you build your lab. If you have access to the images, you have your equipment, this is how you virtualize it, this is how you get it up. And after that, we're going to start going, let's say, one of the blog posts that I'm anxious to do is how to make life live in hell for somebody trying to do a brute force on your Cisco gear. I I remember doing this in a client. We had some people from IBM come in, and they just couldn't brute force the router. They They were just banging their heads against against uh, a wall for two days, trying to get Hydra to work, trying to get Medusa to work, trying to get different uh, pre-built tools to work, and they just had to do a phone call over uh, to one of their guys over in the States. Uh, the guy in the States had to write them a custom Python script to help them brute force that router, and they could only do, like, um, two tries every every 10 seconds. So we were going like, okay, let's drop it here. Let's not do a brute force because uh, my client at that time was going like, oh, I want, uh, I cannot use two-factor authentication. I had to use username and passwords. How can I make this secure? So I did it. Did all the research, using GNS3 and Dynamips, virtualizing his gear before we put that into production and testing everything out.
4: Mm.
1: Very cool. You know, I had some Viata once and it was really itchy and kind of kind of burned.
0: Viagra? No. What?
1: Viata. Vi oh, Viata. Oh. Yeah, the, the Linux. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't get that bad. Uh, let, so that was a great post, Carlos. Um, the other post that was out there was using this is one of my favorites, using SSH logs for remote file includes. I thought this was great. That you can take something like a local file include and turn it into kind of like a remote php include it wasn't really like i didn't file include it was like a if you tried to log in via ssh and included some php code in there that ended up in the logs and then you use the local file include to render those logs it renders the php which gives you a command interpreter so it really takes local file include and turns it into shell and how cool is that
5: yeah this is actually one of the people that many people need to start watching landmaster 53 um he's a friend of Paul.com, he's a friend of Sans, a friend of mine, and he has all kinds of crazy weird things like that. So be expecting that there will be a lot more from him uh, coming up in the next few months uh, on the Paul.com main blog page.
1: Land masturbator 53 we love you. Yay. Wait, was that his name? What was it?
5: Let's go with that. I think <laughs> Let's that's go with one.
1: that. We'll go with that. Okay. We'll with that. Yes. You should do that to your land every once in a while. It helps... <laughs> Keep your pipes clean.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Did I just say that? Yes, you
0: yeah, just said that out loud.
1: Save the show. Carlos Nessus on Backtrack Five. I'm so excited about this.
2: Yes, in fact, um, when I posted this, a lot of people did not know that Nessus now comes with Backtrack Five pre-installed. Right. So just getting it up and running was quite easy.
1: Well, we've known fact, that. Uh, we've known that for a while. Not to yeah. say that we were part of any kind of coup to get this to happen. <laughs> but, you oh, know, no. it's, there it's there now. It's there now. Nessus is now the uh, uh, the the network vulnerability scanner included with uh, Backtrack 5. You still have to activate it, give it an activation code, a home, or a profi, which you so eloquently described in your blog post.
2: Yeah, in fact, uh, f- several things that I did was uh, initially I was going to show how to do it through the GUI, and then I thought, well, Many people probably are installing Backtrack on hosting services. Many people probably are getting the KDE version or the other uh, version. So these steps are not going to be the same size as how to just go through shell, mm. uh, either SSH or just your local yeah. bash shell. Uh, I actually don't. The
1: steps. I don't think you can do it via a GUI in Linux. Like I don't think you can put it in an activation. Like there's no in OS X and Windows. There's your Nessus Server Manager. I don't believe that runs in Linux.
2: Uh, no. In, in fact, what you have is you have different menu entries.
4: Oh, back I see. actually
2: pulled those commands for you. I see. Uh, so I, I covered how to run all those commands and, right. and added the different caveats. Yeah. Just a virtual machine, just a physical machine. If you're doing it via USB, make sure that you're always plugging that USB drive into the same machine. Because uh, the way Nessus works is once you have it registered, it will take certain information out of that box and include that into the registration.
1: Well, and so, the home home and pro feeds behave a little differently in that respect as well. I think pro feed users might have a little more difficult of a time uh, with that whole process. But those are some of the things correct. we're working on. I think it's great that it's there. Um, but there are, like Carl said, you know, a few caveats. If you run into them, please. Send me email, paul at nessus.org. We'll, we'll work through them. Um, but I'm very excited to see uh, to Nessus there on Backtrack 5.
2: Yeah, and, and one of the things is uh, with the new versions of Nessus, it takes a lot less memory to run Nessus. Mm. In fact, I was able to run it in a VM with only 512 uh, of memory. I was able to load up all my plugins. Get it up and running and connecting to it and using it. Nice. Uh, one of the things that you got to also keep in mind is that Backtrack Firefox comes with no script. So if you're using it locally on your box, make sure that you enable scripts uh, for your local host uh, when you're connecting to Backtrack
5: through uh, Firefox.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: But dear God, do not disable scripts or enable scripts globally. That yeah, would be that, dangerous. That would be bad. That would be bad. Oh, yeah.
1: And make sure that you really should have two gigs of RAM for Nessus to run. Um, I talked actually to a Nessus customer today that has 24 core servers with 72 gigabytes of RAM or something. And they're scanning hundreds of thousand IP addresses in like a single day. Jeez. Yeah. So it'll eat up as many resources as you give it, which really just means it's going to scan faster. But the general rule of thumb is that it likes at least two gigs of RAM. So... But it can run on less. It just means it's going to take a little, you know, a little longer.
2: Yeah, it's going to take a lot longer. Uh, but in the case, if you're playing with your home feed and you're testing it against your own home lab and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you, should you be fine. You can with very little resources.
4: Yep.
1: yep. Uh, who wants to talk about boobies? Anyone? Me. Right here. Right here. Anyone boobies? Yes, yes. Boobies. Uh, so boobies is actually uh, an extension language for Burp Suite.
5: Oh so crap. you can write Ruby I thought he meant the bird.
1: No, no. You can write <laughs> You can write Ruby scripts for burp and they're called booby. That's what it's called. And there's a bunch of scripts that you can use to collect cookies, dump the body of HTML pages, and more. And yes, I really <laughs> just wanted to say booby on the yeah. show. And be referencing not a female body part, but in extensible language that you can apply to the burpees. Because
5: normally you don't do that. Normally you don't say boobies. I don't. I haven't heard you reference body boobies. parts
1: or anything. No, we don't talk about <laughs> anything no, like that. Yeah, no, yes. it's very clean, clean family
0: show. It's a family, family show. It's a family I show, folks. I don't
1: know what kind of family you have to, have to listen to the show, but we have a G rating. Yes,
2: and in fact, uh, one one thing to point out is that you're going to be needing J Ruby, the Java version of the VM, to be able to run it, and you have to program it like you programming for, uh, 1.8, 1.87 version of Ruby, uh, because as soon as I started playing with it, I've, uh, I've gotten so used to coding for the 1.9 version of Ruby that has some different changes to it. And when I try to put certain stuff, let's say like for strings and um, some stuff that changed with the Culling arrays. It changed a bit in the J Ruby version, which kind of mimics the old Ruby.
1: Excellent. Very cool. John, so, what have you been up to
5: this week, my friend? You've been teaching for like 25 days straight. Is that true? much straight through. I mean, it was 10 full days here at uh, San Diego. Wait, wait, which wait. wait. Awesome. You taught
1: for 10 days straight?
5: Yeah, yeah. How are you some- still you functioning? Fun. I get to go home and spend the next six weeks at home trying my best to be unemployed, which you're not helping, jackass, uh, but we'll talk about that later. Uh. <laughs> But no, I mean, it, it was a really cool conference in San Diego. I got to bring my family with me, so it wasn't that that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, last week kind of sucked because I had to miss Paul.com, but we got to do the hack lab. So we got a bunch of people through, you know, the basics and introduction of Metasploit. Um, I copied down Backtrack 5 and gave it out to all my students yesterday. So it was a really, really cool conference.
1: Very cool. Very
5: cool. Uh,
1: let's talk about how I met your router. Did you see the story? So using DDWirt, uh, the information leak that was published on December 26th of 2010, actually, um, some, basically what this script or uh, this vulnerability allows you to do is you scan the internet for a certain port. That port in DDWirt from the WAN side of the router leaks information, such as the wireless MAC address. Then using techniques from... Uh Sammy's presentation on how I met your girlfriend. Did you see that? That's an all I started no, at BrewCon, it's an awesome presentation. You take that uh, wireless MAC address, you run it through some Google Geolocation services, because as they're going around and doing the street view, they're collecting wireless. Website, yeah, yeah. So uh essentially what it boils down to in this blog post, you can go to a website that Shodan is hosting now, plug in a wireless MAC address, and it'll tell you the Figure address if it has it. And he got like, I don't know, like eight or nine hundred uh, access points across the world. Oh, so, wow.
5: so is that like a vulnerable version of DWR? Yeah, yeah vulnerable so version. If so if you're so if you're running an older version, then you'll be up. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Correct. But that's cool because everybody patches, so right. it's not yeah yeah, cool. yeah. Totally especially fun. the router. The hey, router. speaking of speaking of patching. Um, yeah. So I'm currently skyped in on my Mac. What's the worst that could happen to me? <laughs> Remote exploit for the win.
1: Oh supposedly version 5.1 fixed this. Now, one of the things I didn't put in the show notes is some of my older systems um, are running like 10.4, which is still supported, and you can get security fixes from Apple 4, but a lot of software doesn't run on it, including 5.1. so you're stuck on Skype 2.8, and there was speculation in this post, is Skype 2.8 vulnerable to this remote exploitation where someone sends you a chat message or... API calls. There's uh, lots of ways to trigger it, and bam, they have remote exploit and they get access to your system.
2: Now, is this a remote exploit? I think you that about four or five hours ago, uh, the exploit was actually uh, shown. What was it? It was a cross site scripting exploit.
5: Yeah, Ian yeah, was telling me that just apps. before the show. Yeah, it, oh, was, Darren, it was. I thought Dino Dazobi did a post on it today. He's a smart guy,
1: but give
0: me
5: some credit. Oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> Darren was telling me that just before the show because he was he was sitting on my lap while i was teaching him how to hack
0: yeah
4: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you
0: missed you missed the intro john it's part yeah, of the, it you, was part of, missed, part of his intro tonight. you
1: missed that part of the show Darren. <laughs> i mean john that is so pretty Have, freaking one. Have a, i do need another one can you get me more beer already yeah oh that's right you live here yeah, I don't have to drive anywhere. It's great. So, yeah, John, so basically, if you're running Skype on OS 10 you're screwed. Oh, Unless you're good. running an older version of 5.1, or you could just be vulnerable to cross-site scripting, which doesn't sound as bad as a remote exploit, but I guess it depends on how the attack is executed. Yeah. How would a cross-site scripting work within Skype? Like, what would they give you access to? I asked true. you, as soon as you stepped away from your microphone, did you notice that? <laughs> I would I assume they would have expert. to send you a message or
0: something bad in
1: it. Yeah, and then you click on that and what? I don't get it. how. Can
0: can I go get you your
1: super yeah, beer? Yeah, sorry. Now? Go get me a beer. <laughs> Think about how so, Skype cross site scripting works. Why getting me a beer? <laughs> so sh-
5: now what do we do? We lost one of the interns.
1: I don't know. You go back so, up, f- it's up to us, John. Brave. How are you? you know, I, I still want to know how you function after teaching for 10 days.
5: Yeah, not well. Mm-hmm. Not well at all. Uh, I'm, uh, yes. I'm thinking we need to start a fire without Darren I don't quite know what else we <laughs> could do I,
1: I, 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 Start a fire uh, <laughs> start, right, start a fire He's giving me Sam Adams Light now There's all that fabulous beer in here And that's what you bring back That's what you get <laughs> 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 That's a girl That's <laughs> a how, beer, are supposed to beer? Do, how am I supposed to do the show drinking a girl's beer <sighs> Actually I've seen
0: girls drink a lot stronger stuff
1: <clears throat> What Like Molson Light Yeah <laughs> So, um, here's a story. I love... This is one of my favorite stories for this week. Shout it out loud so the FBI can hear you. That's right. (laughs) Ah! Ah! Roger Gene Simmons gave a speech at the MIPCOM conference, calls out the music industry for not addressing music piracy. Anonymous catches wind of this and launches distributed or denial service attacks of some kind to multiple websites associated with KISS and hosted by... Gene Simmons himself, who then turns information over to the FBI. Apparently, no arrests have been made. Isn't Gene... this old? No, I
0: don't this know. sounds familiar.
1: If it's not, well, we're gonna talk, we're talking about it now, so it's it's brand new. Gene
5: is quoted <laughs> as saying,
1: "Our legal team and the FBI have been on the case, and we have found few, shall I say, adventurous young people who feel they are above the law." And stated and as I stated in my Mipcom speech, we will sue their pants off. He's also quoted as saying that he just wants his websites to rock and
5: roll all night and party every day without disruption.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the new Lars Ulrich.
5: You <laughs> yes. know, I think I think what we need to do from here on out is shout I it out loud, John. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I've got to say, and we'll see if anybody picks up on this, is if you're going to deal with like music piracy, the best thing you can do is just rip it out. Otherwise, the uh, the uh, feds might be on to you. You might catch yourself in a little bit of a snow blind. Um, and if they do, they're going to sue you, and you're just going to be wiped out. I don't know if anybody got any of those references, but hey, what the yeah. hell?
0: I'm assuming they're Kiss songs of some sort. Yeah, song. well, okay.
5: that's do you, me. Good,
1: good job, John. Do you dress up like Gene Simmons and go to I bet he does. Are you I bet pre- he does. You like, go to conferences, go to concerts?
0: Yeah. He's part no. of the Kiss army.
1: Do you, John? Oh. Yes. Do you, have, do I you, you
5: own a Newman's tool? You know what extension? sucks about being part of the KISS Army these days? Is anytime th- I put the face paint on, a bunch of fucking jugalos come up to me and they think I'm their friend. And that's just it's just really sad. Oh no, insane
0: clown posse reference. I get it. Oh. I'm, <laughs> I'm hip. I'm down. Yo. <laughs> oh. ah.
5: Wow. <laughs> no, this is the KISS Army. Who... <sighs> I know how magnets freaking work, jackass. Magnets John, work, John. Nice. John, you're supposed to bring balance to the show. You're know, Oh yeah, yeah. After ten days of teaching, screw that.
0: <laughs> you're not in the same room as your kids, are you? No, no.
5: <laughs> we keep them locked in
0: the closet. <laughs> Daddy's podcasting. Go, go in the <laughs> silent
1: room.
5: <laughs> Ear muff time. Ear muff time.
4: No. <laughs>
1: Uh, so I saw a great post this week, uh, Bin Bash Phone Home Commands. I think this is really useful stuff. In fact, we've had this person on the show, RootShell.be. Ooh, What's his good name? Good guy. What's his name? Oh, God, we've had him on the show. Oh, Xavier. Yeah, from Belgium. Yes,
4: of course. Yep. My, now, my,
1: my my After the U.S., my favorite most country in the world because they have the most fabulous beer, um, which is not anything like Sam Adams Light. Duval. <laughs> <Yeah.
5: laughs>
0: Jeez. Come on, just drink it down straight, and I'll go get you another one, all right? Because you have another. You drink that like, one,
5: I promise you can have others.
1: So he he wrote a great post. <laughs> you know, I used to think that I was running Linux on one of my systems, that I should limit the tools that are installed on my Linux system. So if someone breaks into them, they have to go through the trouble of putting tools on my system. And it's interesting. If you listen to Marcus Random Speak, he says, well – What if I had, like, this really weird, crazy processor and then I cross-compiled all of my stuff to run in this really weird, crazy processor? None of your tools would work. And then I see stuff like this, which basically says using the underlying functionality within the Linux operating system, specifically, like, dev TCP and redirection and commands that are built into Bash, you can do things like recreate curl and recreate netcat. Using like a few very simple commands. And yeah. I'm like, well, at that point, it's game over because I can basically create backdoors and nasty stuff inside the operating system. So it doesn't matter what you're running, what tools that you've ripped out of the OS, I can still do what I need to do.
5: Now, the listeners need to be careful. This does work on some Fedora images. This isn't specific to Linux or Unix per se. It's actually a bash compile option. And many flavors of Linux, like Debian, do not have this enabled by default. So if you're diving for your new Backtrack instance and you're trying to play around with this, yeah, that's probably not going to fly.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say there's some kind of protection. Like, you can't get rid of dev TCP, right? You could recompile Bash and that would do it. Oh, okay. You could recompile Bash without access to Dev TCP. Yep. Yeah. I got you. The other thing I was gonna say is if Bash is making TCP connections, that should set a red flag in your systems if you're doing process accounts. Yeah. That process that would model. be yeah. that would be kind of a bad Thing. That's a bad yeah. thing.
5: Um, so yeah, you could get rid of that, but you know to kind of get to Marcus Random's point. I mean, I've got to disagree with him slightly. It's like if you completely you know get your whole Linux system to run on this crazy new architecture and you're still running Apache, Well, if you're running PHP, we can still get things like uh, PHP shell to work as well. So there's always creative ways to actually get this stuff to work. And I think that that's one of the coolest things about being a pen tester these days.
1: Well, and one of the cool things is like nasty malware that is uh, set to run on Windows, Mac, Linux, and iOS, which takes advantage of Java, right? And that's some of the things that we're talking about. This is some of the – like if I were to deploy malware, like this is where I would – this is what I would do, right? You would use Java. It runs on all platforms. And I think this is where attackers really need to be to maximize all efforts, right? It doesn't matter what your device is at this point. If you can find a common application that's going to run on laptops, desktops, mobile phones, Windows, Mac, Linux, OS ten, whatever the case may be, right? Flash, because that runs on my i Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Java, right? Java. Java, Java runs yeah, Java what about runs. HTML5? Yeah, Java HTML5 runs is cool. Yeah, through. HTML5. There you go. So uh, I think that's great. The Malware is doing that, and uh, well, it's good for the bad guys, but not necessarily good for those of us defending systems.
5: Well, but that gets to the question, how do you defend against this? Um, do you all of a sudden carte blanche ban Java? Do you ban Flash? Because it seems to be working out pretty well for, for Steve Jobs on the Flash front. So how do you actually go through <laughs> and defend it? Because a lot of these bypass user access control, because they'll create pop-ups that say, hey, do you want to install this codec? Do you want to install this application? And all it takes is the user clicking yes. And if your entire security architecture from an enterprise level can be bypassed on a user clicking yes, you do not have a security architecture. Mm. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. So what do you do? Do you ban Java? Um, You know, I think that that might be an approach not so far as like banning all Java, but specifically going through and whitelisting which applications can run. So specifically what Java applications are required for your business.
1: So wait a minute, John. Are you saying that application whitelisting is the holy grail?
5: No, no, uh, absolutely not. Wouldn't check. say that at all. Just I'm uh, making <laughs> sure that 10 days of teaching hasn't completely ruined you. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just a step in the white, right, in the white, <laughs> the white direction. direction. It's just a step in the white ah, direction. Oh, nice. <laughs> white. <laughs> Freudian slip. You're drunk. I'm tired. It's a bad combination. <laughs> <laughs> it means there's no buffer for this show whatsoever. None <laughs> whatsoever at all. So, uh, really quick Hacking
1: WPA Airwaves was just released today on the Paul.com blog. Mark Bennett
5: different from mark baggett what the hell happened this week i mean carlos posted two kick-ass articles we posted a couple of others bennett all of a sudden comes back to life and he's always welcome and he posts a kick-ass article it's been it's been kind of crazy that's right it has i like it so what
1: i liked about uh mark bennett's post is that he said he was doing the assessment he had to crack wpa he's like you know people you know don't realize that using anything that could even possibly end up in a dictionary is really bad and means I can crack your WPA key very easily. But one of the things you need, and Ian, you were asking about this before the show, right, is the handshake. You're saying, yep. well, how do you get the handshake? And typically, like my favorite way to get the handshake is... a them? It, no, is to just launch a, a denial of service attack against their wireless system. That's always a fun way. Right, Some of those I found on accident on pen tests. And I'm like, wow, I can lock up your whole wireless system with one Nmap scan. <laughs> I've done that. And then they have to reboot their wireless controller, which de-author everyone, everyone yeah. and then reconnects them. Like, well, that's a really powerful thing. Mark Bennett found an even better way. He said when iPhones go to sleep. When they reconnect, they reauthenticate. So all you have to do is just wait long enough for an iPhone to go to sleep, which is a pretty common occurrence if you've got a lot of users on the network. Also, the great thing about this is that the iPhone keyboard blows out the ass... And no one wants to enter a really long random string on their iPhone. So if people have iPhones that are accessing a WPA network, they're likely something ridiculously easy to enter because their users don't want to be inconvenienced entering in that string. Now, this was more the case before we had copy and paste. Because before we had copy and paste, it was horrible. So I suppose you could email the string and they could copy and paste and that would make it a little better. But still, most people are entering it and fail
4: yeah
5: that's just unholy well, why Jeez. can't you
1: just create a website that like people could go to to copy the key and then oh no wait that wouldn't work <laughs> <laughs> or you could just say, like those
5: valets how do those do Let's work with um we were talking about last time oh the lixus ones do those work yeah. with, uh, with iPhones? Can you like you know? Do you plug your USB in the top of your phone? You know, like, <laughs> I don't, v-
1: just beam it I in. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> if someone makes an iPhone, I don't know if they make an I, iPhone adapter I that you can plug in and syncs the key. I have no idea. That would be really. Cool. Maybe we need to start a new that's, a new business. That would be our business. <laughs> Get your key. I have to say, I'm, I'm really
2: hating that when targeted iPhones go to sleep, I lose all my connection. Yes. I really have to find a way a single command inside of it. That will keep that connection open. It's, it it's for zombie, battery
1: yeah. life. It's for battery life, Carlos.
2: Yeah, but there has to be one command I can run through that SSH shell when I get into into the iPhone that will keep at least my SSH shell up.
1: Oh, I see. So you're you're attacking oh, someone's you're phone? Yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. In fact, I have uh, two uh, post exploitation modules I wrote. I've just been holding on to them because every time I test them and I, I get a show on an iPhone, uh, on my test iPhone, um, and I'm, I'm dumping out all the different databases, getting all the different information out of the, the unit, all of a sudden the iPhone goes to sleep and boom, I lose my connection. And I'm like, ah, crap. Now i got to just wait for that iPhone to kind of the user uh or myself and on my test iPhone. Hit the home button or just turn it on again so I'm able to reconnect and get all my data. So, you, anybody out there who knows how to do it, is there a command probably inside the iPhone or something I can change in a pill list that will keep that connection open? Do send me an email, please.
1: Um, so, here's a quote from an article that I found today. That Darren also put in the show notes, and the quote goes: "Everyone, everyone, everyone, raise a glass. Get, get your beer ready. Get your beers ready. There's Here's some the quote. cyber here. Our critical infrastructure, such as the electricity grid, financial sector, and transportation networks that stain our way of life, have suffered repeated cyber intrusions. Drink. Cyber crime has Drink, increased." dramatically over the last decade, says the White House, in its cybersecurity proposal, it has become clear that our nation cannot fully defend against these threats unless certain parts of cybersecurity law are updated. I think that's four or five drinks. That's
0: Drake. a
5: lot of shots.
0: <sighs> and it's coming from the White House, so drink extra for that.
5: <laughs> Is that a new rule?
0: Sure, why not? It's the double down.
5: <laughs> the double down of it's, it's computer security.
0: It's the double down of the uh, cyber
1: cyber rule.
2: And didn't mention cyber war. Wow.
0: Oh, I'm cyber sure. War? I'm sure if you read the whole sure article, read the it's article, in there article it was in.
1: There's a lot of cyber drink in there. We'll get this to is the where the intern does the drink is supposed to chime in <laughs> while we're drinking for all the cyber Ian. So someone tell well, us I'm, about I'm, what I'm the story's just, about. I'm worried about if it's going to be like, you know, cyber combat with APT. That's that's probably what could be the worst. Yeah, you just make <laughs> us
5: drink more, Ian. Leave it to the underage <laughs> guy to make drink more. So what about
0: the cyber APT? <laughs>
4: <laughs> what? <laughs> that's
1: the worst kind. <laughs>
0: no defense against that. <laughs> <We> can't <laughs>
1: stop it. So this is a comprehensive cyber law for the nation to protect our sensitive infrastructure. Okay, so, so
5: it's it's not a law it was, yet. It's so it's, a, it's a proposed law. It's right. It's, into it's, it, what is the law going to recommend? I mean, they're talking about yeah, cybersecurity. We need some well,
0: of that. That's just it. Is that's basically what he said, John. Is is Obama said they want some hey, cyber? Hey, we we want some cybersecurity for our shit, yo. <laughs> and Obama going, hey, uh, baby, I think, you want a cyber? I think, you, I think you guys in Congress should do something about uh, that. We should. That's cyber. all. That's all that's basically been said. The details of what he exactly is proposing has not been released
1: that sucks that's politics john we need to more cybersecurity, and, th- and that and that's what they're doing for us john they're giving us more cybersecurity
5: because that's we what need, we need we need more beer because this is going to get
0: this <laughs> is going to get messy you I
5: mean, the reason why i say this is going to suck is because it you know it, it, if the government steps in and starts telling us how to secure our networks, what we're going to get is more stupid compliance crap on top of everything <laughs> else we've been okay. dealing with. Okay,
0: and that's the other thing that I read from this article is yes, that is exactly what we are going to get. We are going to, so what ha, the pieces that have come out is that there's going to be a congressionally um, approved appointee to uh, the Department of Homeland Defense that will be the cybersecurity czar drink some more um, oh, that man. will uh, ex- do exactly that. They're going to draft more crap, more uh, of, of uh, standards that
1: more cyber standards, more cyber standards,
0: <laughs> drinks more that, you know, okay, you, you want a nuclear facility. Well, you now need to apply to whatever the PCI is that the department of Homeland security has, has decided for, for, uh, Nuclear, uh nuclear facilities.
5: Oh that's gonna that's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. Gonna and be the next new- thing they're gonna do is they're probably gonna stand up and basically say anybody that does cybersecurity must have a CISSP because right. that's gonna fix everything. Exactly.
0: Or they yeah, need to be you suck. they will come out and they will say you need to be John Strand.
4: <laughs> oh that's,
5: that's good. Since I'm letting all my certifications expire, I can see here in a couple of years they're gonna be like, "Yeah, you're not qualified to do a pen test. <laughs> Why? You don't have these certifications. Yeah, you, you didn't pay you five. Don't have the you cybersecurity didn't cybersecurity. You went, you, let, you let six standard.
0: months go by and you didn't pay five hundred bucks. So yeah, you're not qualified to do it anymore.
1: Um, so Chris Nickerson's show is canceled. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> a moment Again? of silence. No
0: wait. Oh no, wait. That's some. That's somebody else. It looks like Chris Nickerson, but is it Christian
1: Slater? Yes,
0: that's the guy. <laughs> Some breaking in show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope oh, I don't. What did he get, what, I, did hope I, I hope I don't run into him
1: at DefCon. <laughs> He's gonna
0: cost so you. In the, and I'm
4: and gonna they had <laughs> first
2: episode, Armgate running and popping boxes. Say that again. On, this, on their first show, they had Armgate running on the screen, and that was what the per- person said. Oh, I had it running for 36 hours, and I got in. And all of a sudden, when you, the camera times in, what you see is Armgate
0: running on the screen and running voice. You mean uh, oh, Armitage?
2: Nice. They, they almost got their facts right. Almost.
1: Nice. Oh, oh, oh. That's what they called it. Um. So, if you want to watch a TV show that I think is all about this. Cybersecurity. Cyber security. Cy- <laughs> I mean, why not, Ian? Right? Why at not just point, go with yeah? At, at this, this point, point just... what what does it matter? No, <laughs> a, a show We're that so actually Trump. really has been in, impressing me with respects to um, being pretty accurate with respects to hacking and security is the the new Nikita show. So there was, give everyone a little history, right? The original French film by Luc Besson, La Femme Nikita, La Femme which Nikita. was remade as The Point of No Return with uh, Jane Jane Fonda. No. One of the Fonda. There was a Fonda in it, right? She paid Bridget. Nikita. Bridget, thank you. Bridget, Fonda. Uh, and then there was the TV show La Femme Nikita with the nice-looking blonde check. Nikita Wilson. It. Yes. Thank you, John.
0: Wow, John's on top of this.
1: <laughs> then there was the most recent Nikita with Maggie Q. oh, oh. oh. Yeah, hot Asian chick. <laughs> Thank you very much, Carlos. Uh, is, took the words is, right is, out of my mouth.
2: <laughs> is that the one, is, is that the poster I saw where she has the tattoo on her leg?
1: Yes, and she's sitting in the chair all seductively with like a handgun. Yeah, it's hot. Um, so she plays Nikita in this TV series, and I've watched all of season one, and I have to tell you that there are several examples. We should do, we've talked about doing reviews of TV and movie shows, uh, T- TV shows and movies with respect to hacking and technology. This one has some really interesting stuff. For the most part, it's accurate. Uh, the example I was giving before the show was there, um, Nikita, and she basically puts a mold inside the, the black ops government organization that she used to work for that pretends to be a trainee and collects information and helping her take down the black ops organization, right? So her and this other character, Nikita and the other character are sitting in the car and all of a sudden the black ops people start talking to them. And they ask, well, how are they talking to us? And she's like, well, they hacked into the Bluetooth in the car. I'm like, that's really cool. Like, we've talked about it on the show. We talked about, like, Twitchy doing that, like, episodes ago. <laughs> I'm like, that's, like, real hacking. That can happen. I'm like, that's cool. Uh, so there's lots of stuff where the Black Ops people – and it, it kind of ties into, like, the Didi Wort story, right, where he talks about Shodan in the beginning of his blog post, Um, of how, you know, how I met your router and how we use Shodan to get into all of the cameras in Los Angeles and geolocate, and he can hack into a bunch of cameras and geolocate where people are based on things that they've accessed, like a wireless access point. They will, um, do that the black ops organization will go yeah we're tracking the agent they're in this location or that location and we've hacked into the security cameras in that location and they like bounce through all these security cameras That's but pretty that like possible yeah, it right? Is right yeah now. and they talk a lot about bluetooth hacking in that in that whole there's a lot of examples of bluetooth hacking so in um, one point she lifts a fingerprint from a bluetooth device from one of the guys and like recreates it to get access to a secure area And she actually hands him the Bluetooth and she's like, oh, I forgot how to enable pairing on this device. And he takes it and he holds down the button for three seconds and she lifts his print. And I'm like, that makes sense. Like most Bluetooth earpieces, right? Like you hold that. yeah." So it's really cool stuff. So way hotter than Christian Slater or Chris Nickerson put together. Not that that's saying much.
5: I haven't seen the show yet. I'll reserve judgment.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Taking it from someone who has... (laughs) Given or received a lap dance from Chris Nickerson? Uh, uh, it's kind of blurry right now.
5: I'm received. Sure it is. received, received, received. Any, anything other than that would be a little bit uh, light in the loafers, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, Darren, let's talk about some industry news.
1: Give us the industry news for this week. From hold on, let me play my. I'm going to play my industry news. I hope it's uh, about ten seconds long. <laughs>
0: So we, we spoke on Skype what early. Everybody's got a fear of something.
2: Not everybody. Sock puppets. Where where?
1: Industry news with Darren.
0: <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll start off then with that. Speaking of sock puppets, uh, Sophos <laughs> acquires Astero, which is the home of our good friend Jack Daniel.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, who is famous for his sock puppets that love to sit on the shoulders of interns during podcasts? And uh yay, yeah, so I
4: don't
1: know, is that is that good, bad, and different? I have
0: no idea. I would I would say go online, jump onto Twitter and follow Mr. Jack Daniel, which I'm sure all of our listeners already do, or you're of an idiot. Of course. Um, and see what he has to say about it since he doesn't usually refrain you know, I was at, from his opinions.
1: <laughs> I was at Charlotte ISSA and uh Jack was standing there. I don't know if you've seen Jack Daniel before. Very tall man, very long gray beard. You can't miss him anyway
0: He is the ZZ Top of security He is He's
1: a, he is a rock star He is a rock star, yeah So, so I, I walked He was talking to a bunch of people And I walked up And I said, you know I've been looking for this guy I wanted to talk to I said, he's got He's kind of tall He's got a really long beard And his name sounds like Something you would drink Who is that? <laughs> he just starts laughing <laughs> It was pretty funny He's a cool dude.
0: Good guy. So I would say if you want an opinion on that, follow him because he and now we definitely works, share. Now he, works, now for he works for Sophos. Interesting. Are they, are they going to change the name of Starro or just call it their firewall product?
1: Don't know. I think they're going to call it their cyber firewall product. Their <laughs> cyber <laughs>
0: drink. So A-A-B-T-O. in other news, we were talking about this earlier that Skype has their own issue with Whether it's excess uh, cross-site scripting or whatever, but um, Microsoft has acquired Skype for billions of dollars—quite a bit. Billions. So I'm sure their security. Billions. So I'm sure that their security posture will improve tremendously.
1: I'm sure their OS 10 support will improve tremendously. Yeah, I'm sure it will. (laughs) That's gonna go. That's the other thing
0: too. I saw that there was some report that someone was accusing Microsoft of just basically crapping all over Microsoft Office on Mac, and saying that they're really not even developing for it anymore. No surprise.
1: Mm. No surprises there.
0: And what that, and that is industry news from intern Darren. That was it.
1: I need some closing. That's all I got. That's Clos- why I said
0: I hope it's 10 seconds long. Closing
1: industry news. Hold on, hold on. Oh, uh, oh. oh that was oh, horrible. That was oh. horrible. Can I try at least again? it? Was, at
0: least it wasn't the fail noise. Or oh, that's what's coming now. Thanks.
1: <laughs> Jackass. Hey. With that, to we I was gonna say,
0: careful how you piss off the guy that edits the show.
1: <laughs> we'll, we all love Darren, so that's we will, right. We will take a break and come back and wrap up the show. I could get pwned, I, I feel so vulnerable. and it's going to be just like I had a zero-day exploit. Hold me, I'm scared. Don't look at me like that. Maybe PGP is the answer. Someone hold me. Paul.com
4: Your security blanket.
1: Oh, are we back? Yeah, like, I was waiting for the. I tend to do that.
0: Because it's much better when you sing it. Note <laughs> yeah. To, note to self, edit this part out.
1: <laughs> the whole thing. Okay.
0: Starting <laughs> now.
1: Starting now. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning into fall.com. Mr. John Strand, Carlos Perez. You guys still there? Yes, sir.
4: Uh,
1: Our special guest, Marsha Hoffman. We were actually surprisingly, uh, how should I put it, gentlemen for that that (laughs) interview. Because after she left, it all went downhill and went shit. Considering that John
0: Strand was on during the interview for an EFF uh, individual, yes. Some
1: intelligent questions. I try. What can I say?
0: That's all we can ask of you, John. That's all we can ask of you.
1: Any deep thoughts from intern Ian? Asks Mike Perez via text message. Any deep thoughts on my phone? Um,
0: oh, we—that would be awesome. Let's have a deep I think thought, you did a fantastic job on th- th- Deep thoughts from Ian segment. Deep thoughts, deep thoughts, deep thoughts from, from Ian.
1: What do you want? Are you a one-liner? You went like?
0: Oh, he's no, too young to remember this. "Deep Deep Thoughts" by Jack Handy on SNL. That's true. Oh, He's true. looking at it's us like, totally what the like, hell what are, you are you talking, talking about? about? <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh my Sometimes god, I feel oh I'm old. afraid of clowns because they're scary. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> See, there you go. That Those are deep, deep thoughts. thoughts from John Strand. Deep thoughts Wait from a minute. John we can
5: pull Scrand. up some other ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, again, thank you everyone for listening. Core discount code is Impact BSG. Darren, are you going to get some constipated words to take us <laughs> <laughs> While well, I'm trying to
0: think, is it constipated? It's like a, it's like a constipated truck rally <laughs> what type thing this? that he does. Why don't does? we do this?
1: Why don't we do this? Why don't you take a deep breath <gasps> and, in your own words, Darren, take us out. Say over and out, but say it in your own way, without being constipated. Make it special, please.
0: Over and out, ladies.
1: Ladies.